It seems more probable that these strange customs grew little by little than that any one man had the power to oblige his fellow countrymen to change their whole manner of living. However that may be, and whether such a man as Lycurgus ever lived or not, these were the customs of the Spartans, and they really became a nation of soldiers. In Boeotia, a country a little north of Sparta, a poet named Hesiod was composing his works and days, a poem about living quietly and peacefully in the country and doing whatever kind of work each season required. But the Spartans would have scorned such teachings. They were soldiers, and wartime was their holiday. When the enemy was near, the king sacrificed a goat, the men put garlands upon their heads, the musicians played a march, and the army moved forward joyfully. They knew how much better soldiers they were than other tribes, and they had little fear of being beaten. They looked upon war as a luxury, but it would seem as if they must have had as much as one could want of fighting. Their first business was to make themselves so strong in Laconia that they would be free to win other lands. They succeeded in this, and then they began to think about Messenia, the country lying to the west of them. It was small wonder that they wanted it, for it was the most fertile country in the Peloponnesus, with hills and meadows, plenty of water, and excellent pasturage for cattle. After a good deal of fighting the Spartans got possession of Messenia, so much we may be sure of. But little is known about the war. There is a story, which may or may not be true, that at length matters looked so bad for the Messenians that they shut themselves up in Ithome and sent to Delphi to ask what to do. The tribe that first places one hundred tripods on the altar of Zeus at Ithome will conquer, declared the oracle. Then the Messenians were jubilant, and they set to work to make one hundred wooden tripods. Unluckily for them, the Spartans, too, had learned of the response. We will not wait to make tripods of wood, they said. We will make them of clay. The result was that while the Messenians were still working on their wooden tripods, a Spartan with a big bag on his shoulder contrived to slip into Ithome one afternoon. On the following morning the Messenians lost all hope, for there stood the Spartan tripods ranged about the altar. It was not long before Ithome fell. The Spartans had conquered. The Messenians were allowed to keep their land, but had to give half its produce to their conquerors. They had become the slaves of the Spartans. The story goes on to say that many years later the grandsons of the warriors of Ithome determined to be ruled by Sparta no more. They fought so fiercely that it was soon the turn of their enemies to beg Apollo for advice. You must ask Athens to send you a leader, was the reply. This did not please the Spartans, but they made the request. The Athenians were not at all willing to help Sparta become stronger, but they did not dare disobey Apollo. Finally they made a plan which they thought exceedingly crafty. They sent for a leader, a man named Tertius, a schoolmaster who knew nothing about making war. They forgot, however, that Tertius was also a poet, and while they were boasting of their cunning, he was making such ringing war songs for the Spartans that they no longer remembered their discouragement, but marched cheerfully into battle singing, now fight we for our children, for this land. Our lives unheeding, let us bravely die. Courage, ye youths, together firmly stand. Think not of fear, nor ever turn to fly. Finally the Spartans were successful, and now they ruled all the southern part of the Peloponnesus from sea to sea. 
The Spartans were in no hurry to give up fighting, and before many years had passed, they found an excuse for invading Arcadia, the country lying north of Laconia. There is a legend that during the war the Messenians had hired some bands of Arcadian soldiers, and that after the war closed, the Arcadians had allowed some of the Messenians to make homes for themselves in Arcadia. That was enough, and the Spartans set out with their weapons and wreaths and war songs, and also some chains with which to bind the captives that they expected to take. Arcadia was a quiet, pleasant country with rugged mountains and swiftly flowing brooks in the north, and fresh green meadows in the south. The people who dwelt there kept flocks and herds. They loved the music of the flute, and they followed their old simple customs. They loved liberty, too, and they were hardy mountaineers. And much to the surprise of the Spartans, it came to pass that some of them were bound with their own chains. The invaders won several victories, but they never really conquered the little mountainous country. Each army found what brave men there were on the other side, and the two people finally made a treaty by which they agreed to stand together in war. Sparta was to take the lead on the battlefield, but the Arcadians were always to hold the left wing, the place of honor. The greatest honor, however, that could be held by any country of Greece was that of presiding at the Olympian Games. Olympia was the land of the Pisatans, and in the earliest days they were in charge. After a while, the inhabitants of Elis overcame the Pisatans in war, and then the Elians proudly took the first position. Again and again, the Pisatans revolted, and finally they found a powerful friend in Phaedon, the ruler of Argos. For he was very willing to increase his power in the west. The Spartans too had no objection to increasing their power. They stood for the rights of Elis and were victorious. So it was that Sparta rose to power. By the middle of the sixth century before Christ, the Spartans ruled the southern part of the Peloponnesus. They had made an alliance with Arcadia and were good friends with Elis. They had also succeeded in overthrowing the power of Argos, the state that had once been the mightiest in the peninsula. The last battle took place at Thyria, which the Spartans captured, but the Argives suffered a much more severe loss a few years later. They had fled from the Spartans to a sacred grove, and there their enemies surrounded them and set the grove afire. Two thirds of their whole army perished. They still declared that Argos was a free city, but the Spartans cared little about that. So long as it had become too weak to interfere with them, such is the story of Sparta from the earliest times to the middle of the sixth century before Christ. The story of a little wandering tribe which made their way into the country of their enemies and succeeded in becoming the most powerful people in the land. Summary: The Greeks loved their own land and were also fond of adventure. The Dorians came from the north and made the old inhabitants of the south into Perioeci or Helots. They trained their whole tribe to be soldiers. Their story was that this was the work of a man named Lycurgus. Lycurgus was said to have given the chief power of the government to five ephors, to have divided the land equally, to have used iron for money, to have obliged all to eat at the common table, and to live in simple houses. And to have brought up the boys under military rule, he was said to have made the Spartans promise to keep his laws till his return, and then to have gone away and taken his own life. The Spartans made slaves of the Messenians, made a treaty with the Arcadians, and won the friendship of the Elians. They overthrew the power of Argos, and by the middle of the sixth century B.C. had become the strongest tribe in the land.